Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. But you know, something I also like to do is to talk about culture, uh, entertainment, uh, you know, lifestyle type things. And, and recently, uh, I was reading in the New York Times a fascinating review of a book uh, about uh, about Billy Joe Bruce Springsteen. It's by uh, author Jim Cullen. I believe Jim's been on the show before. I love, I, and I've seen your work before. I've seen articles by you, and uh, I'm a fan of what you do. Um, this book, though, this book immediately caught my attention. I'm, I'm a, a young baby boomer. I'm near, near the end of the baby boomer uh, era. You know, when you talk Billy Joe, you talk uh, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, you're talking about ubiquitous characters uh, for an entire generation, particularly my generation. Uh, you know, the, the young, the young uh, Xers and the, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the young boomers and the older Xers. It's, it's incredible. And I never thought of this perspective before, which is uh, basically um, where they came from, where their background was, and, and, and you know, in terms of the kind of impact it had on how huge they were. They were so relatable in so many ways uh, to the people that became their biggest fans. It's fascinating connection. So, Jim, Jim Coleman, welcome back uh, on the program. Glad to have you. And Glad to be uh, here. why don't Thank you just jump in, jump in on this book topic? This is phenomenal. Well, you know, Kevin, like you, I'm a late baby boomer, and um, and as a result, you know, I was a little bit late for the '60s, and and uh, you know, the, the these guys come along in the '70s and carry into the '80s, and and I sort of grew up with them. I'm from Long Island originally, but I was actually a big Bruce Springsteen fan. And the the thing, the key sort of insight that I had in the in the process of doing this is that you know these guys are both from metropolitan New York, and we tend to think of Greater New York as a, as a media center. It's where the it's where the uh, the media infrastructure Structure is located where broad, the broadcasting capital of the United States. But I, I, but I discovered as I looked into this that metropolitan New York has a distinctive musical culture, and these guys are actually part of that culture, both in terms of you know the history that, 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 that that's the backdrop for their careers, and also the kinds of sounds they were making as they were making their first hits. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and again, I think one of the things that uh, I grew up thinking they were both New York City guys. I grew up thinking that, and I, a lot of people who um, who grew up in my time kind of thought that. Now I know for years they weren't, but I didn't really see the significance until I began to read your view on this type of thing. It's really a unique approach. Talk a little bit about that. Well, both of these guys are products of suburbia. Both of them were oriented toward this New York City. Both of them spend a lot of time in New York City, but they really come from the rim. And that, that's an important part of their, you know, their makeup and the work they went on to do. There's another wrinkle here, which is that both of these guys came of age in the age of rock and roll. And, and rock and roll, you know, is not, uh, it was not originally a New York thing. You know, I mean, Elvis comes from the South and Bob Dylan comes from the Midwest and the Beatles come from Liverpool. And, and these these guys, therefore, sort of identified and associate themselves with, you know, the country or the world at large. But, but in fact, they were really shaped by, you know, figures ranging from Irving Berlin to Frank Sinatra, and then like more contemporary figures like the Looking Glass or uh, the Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons that had a had a real impact on who they became. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned Looking Glass because I kind of saw them as a one-hit wonder. 
Well, they were, but they were also a product of a, of a musical style that was known as the shore sound, you know, on, on the Jersey Shore that was really important uh, in shaping uh, Springsteen's kind of musical identity in the early years of his work. So, you know, that's just sort of one example. There are others. Uh, you know, the Young Rascals come to mind. I think they were a Long Island oh, band Rascals, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that, uh, that were an influence well, on Billy way, Brandy, Joel. Brandy's one of my favorite. Uh, Brandy's one of my favorite one-hit wonders. <laughs> I, love, right, I absolutely right. love that song. And it was but it, number I, one know, for one the, week. The, the, go ahead. Sorry, I, I, yeah, Brandy was the number one song for one week in 1972. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, I just heard it. I just heard it used on Ozark recently. It, it's got a, it's, it's had real staying power. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's one of those songs that could could have got released in 2023 and get track, you know, traction on the charts. It's such a good song. And so, yeah, this is fascinating. So, so talk about why you think suburbia, being in suburbia, uh, played such an important, important role in their musical development and, more importantly, their impact. You know, long before Taylor Swift's, and by the way, then combined or not a Taylor. No, she's, uh, an she's impact. moving into her They were room, unusually yeah. impactful, both of them. They were unusually impactful for, for musicians that, that transcended music, right? Yeah, you know, and part of this is 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 a matter. I mean, these are both very talented guys. You know, no question about it. But these were also two very lucky guys. I mean, they were born within a few months of each other. You know, one east of the city, one west of the city, and they they were quintessential baby boomers. And and even though their own family backgrounds were marked by downward mobility, they, their families had suffered serious setbacks in at, 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 and you know at the time or just before they were born. These are guys who experienced a lot of upward mobility and who, you know, the suburban environment really kind of nurtured their aspirations uh, and, and helped allow them to become who they were, whether it's a matter of, you know, Billy Joel getting piano lessons the way so many suburban kids did, you know, or whether someone like Bruce Springsteen could, you know, could, you know, basically be a beach bum for a while while he was trying to figure himself out. These were advantages these guys had that allowed them to sort of incubate and, and, and grow and get ready for the big time. Yes. And, and, and by the way, what you're describing kind of defy, defies the way they have presented it themselves, don't you think? Well, to some degree, yeah. I think both of them you know, really wanted to sort of uh, present themselves as, as cosmopolitans rather than metropolitans. And this is particularly true for someone like Billy Joel, who, you know, as soon as he could, in effect, got the hell out. He actually moved to L.A., uh, lived there for a few years. He wrote pretty dismissively about um, about uh, you know be, about suburbia in his early records, and then he and then he has a kind of a homecoming. He moves back to New York. He starts writing songs like New York State of Mind, and he kind of reconciles with his home region and has been identified with it ever since. Yeah, well, and what I mean though is that they they really tried to to me it's really Springsteen uh, really tried to project project themselves as tough guys from tough neighborhoods with a tough life. That, 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 that was their upbringing. And, uh, you know, particularly Springsteen, but you even see that in Uptown Girl with uh, Billy Joe, right? You know, and, and, of course, these are fictional characters being sung about, but you clearly see how he projects himself in, that, uh, in, that, uh, uh, in the music video. Um, and so they, I, I think, you know, it's kind of like um, – Bob Seger saying he's from, you know, from uh, Detroit. You see, you see, actually, you're from Ann Arbor, and there is a difference. <laughs> you yeah, see what I mean yeah, by this? Yeah, 
Yes, I do see what you mean. And, you know, and, and I think you're right to sort of locate that sort of fault line, if that's the right term. I mean, it, at, some, at some level, it is real. I mean, you know, I mean, Springsteen did have a bona fide working class childhood, but he is romanticizing it. You know, I mean, one of the things I discovered early on, you know, with all this, you know, I, you hear a song like, you know, Born to Run and, and, and you know, the, the highway, highway 9. When you go to Highway 9 in New Jersey, it's, you know, it's car dealerships and fast food restaurants. It's not exactly, you know, mean streets of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the city, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, as you're writing this, um, because it is so unique. It's a very interesting, uh, unique approach. Who did you have in mind? Obviously, guys like me, right? Uh, late Xers, or uh, I'm sorry, late uh, boomers, early Xers. Uh, but, but talk about, who, what, you know, who you had, you had in mind and what you were trying to convey. What's the takeaway or significance you want for the reader? Well, you know, as, as, as you identified at the outset, there is a little bit of a demographic here that obviously these guys appeal to. And, and so, I mean, if you're a certain age, obviously you grew up with these people. And, and I, I, surprisingly, they haven't really been connected until now in a systematic way. And that was one of the things that I was trying to do. But the other thing I'm trying to do is to situate these guys in the history of popular music. And I mean that in two senses. I mean, one is to see them as the products of some very specific conditions that allowed them to thrive in a way that probably wouldn't happen before and would not have happened since. And the other is to you know, make a case for them, even for sort of future generations. I mean, you bring up someone like Taylor Swift, and, you know, she is very much their inheritor in some key respects, and, and, they, and, and she has had complimentary things to say about both of them and they about her. And, you know, I, I do think that she, you know, is part of the same tradition that they are. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And, uh, yeah, what would you say about their suburban background? that made them translate so large, even beyond music? You know, do you identify that? What, what is it about that? See, I, I gathered from what I've read, and yet I've only read about the book, I'm going to read the book, you know, is that they had this, this you know, almost metaphysical quality coming from suburbia that translated well to, uh, to their audience. And, and so much of their audience were some people in suburbia. Yeah, well, I think that I think that's right. I mean, it's it's important to keep in mind that you know in 2023, about half the U.S. population is suburban, and so you know th their their backgrounds make them sort of you know relatable. I think to a lot to a large cross section of people. It's not so much that they talk about this stuff directly, although they do they do to some degree. But it's people can relate to a song like Sherry Darling, where you know where a guy has to drive his mother-in-law or his girlfriend's mother to an appointment in the city and the aggravations of traffic and so on. You know, on the one hand, on the other hand, you know you have a song like Billy Joel's uh, the uh, Ballad of Billy the Kid. You know where um, you know it ends it ends with the character on, on Oyster Bay with a six pack. You know, or Captain Jack, which is a critique of suburban affluence. So. They're talking about things that people can really relate to in their everyday lives. I mean, just the, the very simplest, you know, aspects of life in terms of, you know, driving a car or, or, or living, in, living in a house or, you know, or, or connecting with your family. Talk about when you wrote the book, you know, clearly you, you got you, there was something there that got you that made you want to go there. And uh, you have specific beliefs that, uh, of course, you know, uh, bad historians, bad anything, uh, only research to find things that line up what their, uh, you know, what their objectives are. Good historians get surprised 
when they do their research, when they're developing their book. Talk about uh, the surprises you got along the way. Well, you know, I think the biggest is sort of how the how the book came about in the first place. You know, I was actually, you know, pitching an editor with a, with, with a different project, and the editor turned down the project because he explained to me, you know, this is interesting to me, but I really can't take it because it's not my it's not my sort of territory. It's not my space in the in the publishing house. I'm a guy who does you know regional books, does local books, and so I can't really work with you here. And I was sort of sad about that, and I went off, and I and I got to thinking like, what could I do for this guy? How could I? craft something that would land in his territory. And it just sort of suddenly, you know, you know, appeared to me, you know, that to, to link these two guys and to think of them at, and, and think of them in terms of a sense of place. And once I did that, the thing just sort of snapped into place very quickly. I wrote it, I wrote it in the space of about six months because I know these guys work. I've, been, I've grown up with it, but now I was trying to situate them in a particular landscape. And that was really an exciting thing to do. And, 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 uh, and again, there were discoveries along the way, like I was saying before, in terms of their family backgrounds and just sort of seeing them as specimens of a generational experience, which I think that, that among other things, they really are. So when you got the book done, did you send a copy to the guy who rejected it and say, hey, look what you missed? Oh, no. No, actually, the, the guy then said, oh, I can work with this. And so he ended up publishing it. I ended up studying it in the book to him. Yeah. So, so all's well that as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I knew those yeah. guys who would, who would have done that anyway. Uh, that's phenomenal. I love that. And that's funny how, you know, some really great works uh, see the accidentally made and I and obviously that doesn't summarize all of this work, but that accidental accidental element is pretty profound. Yeah, that, and that's that's part of what keeps it exciting. That's what keeps you going. You know, is, is uh, just you know finding yourself doing things you are, you wouldn't necessarily be expecting to do. Keeps your creative. Yeah. Keeps you creative. Yeah, talk about a little bit about how this fits in uh, and into your your bibliography of work. How does this fit in? Well, you know, it, 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 it's sort of an interesting chapter for me personally because I've written I've written twenty books and and most of my early stuff you know, tended to have a big arc, you know, it was a history of the mass media, you know, or, or the way that the Civil War has been portrayed in popular culture over a period of 100 years, um, you know, that, that kind of a thing. But in recent years, I've gotten much more interested in, you know, the period, I guess you'd say, of my own youth, you know, the latter part of the 20th century. And so I, you know, I did a book on um, All in the Family, the great, the great sitcom from, from the 70s. And I, I, I did a book on Martin Scorsese, the great director. I did a book on, on, on 19, the year 1980, which is I think when I when I last appeared on the show, and and um, and so the, 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 even though I didn't, I wasn't really thinking in terms of Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen as I just explained. Once I did, I was able to sort of situate it in that that vein of work that I've been doing in recent years. Interesting, Jim. We're going to about to have to wrap it up. Give us some final thoughts that you, and also give us your website so people can get information. Yeah, I think I sent that along, but I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, give, go ahead and give us your website. Oh, oh, oh sorry. It's uh, it's uh, it's Jim it's jimcullen dot com actually. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, oh sorry, it's Jim Cullen Historian. One word, jimcullenhistorian dot com. Yeah, make sure you check that out. And of course, we'll have a link to it over at priceofbusiness dot com. This this interview will be uh, will uh, of course be at priceofbusiness dot com. And uh, great great conversation. I really appreciate it. And and time. Well, Kevin, it was a great pleasure to talk with you.
I am Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. Stay tuned for more.